Economics is the study of human choice in the world we live. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By investigating faith in economics, we can learn how they lead to human flourishing. This is the Faith in Economics podcast, a presentation of the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University. Welcome to our show today. I'm Luke Graham, producer and graduate assistant for the Gortney Institute. With us, we have Dr. Russ McCullough, the founder of the Gortney Institute and Wayne Angel Chair of Economics. We have Dr. Justin Clark, the Menard Family Professor of Philosophy and Ethics. And finally, we have Dr. Peter Jacobson, the Gortney Professor of Economic Education and Research. All right. So Peter has this uh, vision of things are changing in terms of legalistic type views of maybe the right and the left, Republican, Democrat, and kind of connecting that to a faith argument. Uh, in Christianity, we had the Pharisees who were the readers of the law, the knowers of the law, the observers of the law, la, la, la. Jesus comes in, busts things up with grace and say we can't. So I, I'm kind of curious. I'm not sure exactly where he's going to take us, but it sounds interesting. What do you got, Peter? Yeah, so we've talked about on the podcast before the parable of the prodigal son and kind of this dichotomy that the parable itself kind of lays out. And there's sort of an anthropology in the parable of the prodigal son or a way of like looking at human beings that I think is like basically right. And it was best teased out, in my opinion, by a pretty famous pastor nowadays, Tim Keller, who is out of, I think, Redeemer Church in New York City. And Tim Keller wrote a book on this. And so if you want to hear a little bit about the the parable and what it means biblically, uh, listen to that previous podcast on the prodigal son that we did a few weeks back. But the, the anthropology that Keller draws out of the prodigal son is that there's basically two types of people who are lost in the world, two types of like sinners. And the two types of sinners in the world are older brothers and younger brothers. And so younger brothers are kind of the rebellious type. They're naturally kind of opposed to society. They're in your face about that opposition. They usually are like, you know, living life to enjoy it in a very like sort of like narrow hedonistic sense. You know, they're seeking out pleasure in various forms. They're that kid who rebels against the conservative parents and leaves home and, you know, go, goes and lives a crazy life. Like that's the, the younger brother. And that's the younger brother in the parable of the prodigal son. He says, give me my inheritance so I can go party and he squanders it within like, you know, months. And then there's older brothers and older brothers actually are also in the parable of the prodigal son and in Keller's view of it, they're also rebellious, but in a different sense. And so the older brothers of society, and I think humanity actually does fall into this category of older and younger brothers, they are rule followers, right? They're the kid who showed up to class, they raised their hand for every question, they really care a lot for deeply about that the rules are followed, whatever they may be. If you put them in different environments at different times, they probably follow wildly different rules because the rules themselves are like good for those people. And they think that by following those rules, they're able to earn themselves like particular leeway in life. And so if you righteously follow the rules, you're entitled to act particular ways or you're entitled to get like promotions or be, you know, uh, the top of the class or things like that. And oftentimes this leads to a lot of legalism. People will do things, you know, they'll create a checklist and they'll complete that checklist for the purpose of uh, trying to obtain some end that they believe is rightly theirs. And that's the older brothers. And both of these people are on Keller's view and in the view of the prodigal son 
if, you know, not reforms, they're naturally selfish. One of them is seeking hedonistic pleasure. The other one is seeking some sort of self-righteousness that they get by following an explicit check list of rules. And so if you're like really narrowly defined on like, okay, tell me what the rules are so I can follow them and do them perfectly. And then I can be the best rule follower of any of them. Uh, that's kind of the older brother mentality. And I think everybody falls more or less into uh, one of these categories, at least at different points of their life, I actually think probably people are naturally one or the other for their entire life. I consider myself to be pretty naturally an older brother. I'm not very rebellious. I'm not much of like a, a you know, live life on the edge sort of person. I'm a rule follower. I can look back at life at various times and see, man, I was like way over following the rules in like those particular cases. And like you have to have some like ser uh, some uh, satire of yourself kind of as an older brother to to look back. But then, you know, I look at my my older brother, ironically, who is more of a younger brother. He was more rebellious. You know, he was opposed to some of the things our parents taught him growing up. He was more likely to, you know, go off and kind of uh, do something that was off the reservation. And so, you know, you can identify things. I think Russ is probably more of a younger brother. Uh, <laughs> I was waiting to be called. Uh, I, I think so. I could be wrong, by no, the way. Sometimes there's some both. I don't know on Justin. I actually think Justin maybe was more of a younger brother, at least growing up, but I could be wrong. Maybe we're always like, uh, you strike me as like very rule for yourself heavy now. So I don't know if that's just like something that you forced yourself into or something that you've always had. What What would you say? I'd say I spent probably the first 17 years of my life being a rule follower. Okay. And then probably the next 17 years of my life being a younger brother. Okay. So you're you're more naturally, though, maybe like a, a, an older brother type. Yeah, probably. Which is how I would consider myself, even though I, I think that... But basically, one thing to point out is that someone being an older or younger brother, like in, in a sense, it is a bad thing, but one is not worse than the other. That's actually one of the points that the prodigal son is like, these are both ways that like they can be taken to the extreme and you can create an idol out of different things in your life and ignore the important things, specifically God, of course, as we're talking about the Bible. But I think most people fall, fall into these groups. And Tim Keller makes an interesting observation in his book, The Prodigal God, which is where he lays this out which I think was true when he wrote it in the early 2000s, but is wrong now. He says something along the lines of, politically, most older brothers tend to be conservatives. They tend to be Republicans, whereas most younger brothers tend to be Democrats. You know, these are the rebellious types. They're more progressives, right? And, you know, you have the progressive hippies and all that. And I think a really interesting or maybe one of the most interesting changes over the last 20 or so years, basically, maybe since 2008, we could say, in society as a whole, is that even though the anthropology of the older and brother, uh, older and younger brother remains the same, the political underbelly has reversed. My claim is that most older brothers now are probably Democrats or uh, very uh, Democrat sympathetic Republicans, whereas the rebellious types of society are more likely to be like Republicans or politically disaffiliated, but like sympathetic towards like Trump or something like that. And so that's kind of my contention. So I think there's a third category that's missing. Okay. When you talk about rule followers versus, which is, you know, the, your version of the older brother and then the rule, rule flaunters being the younger brothers. I think there's a third category because it seems like the older brother is a rule follower, but there's a third category of a rule enforcer. I think that they that they would collapse into each other. Uh, I think there's a lot of people who are rule followers, but aren't so worried about making sure everybody else follows the same rule 
that they apply to themselves. Yeah. So uh, like the, uh, the, I guess to some, let's, let's break that down a little bit. It's like, ultimately this rule follower category, Jesus, by the way, is like satiring almost the Pharisees of the time. And the Pharisees are these folks who believe that by following the law to the letter and well, very specifically to the letter, not the spirit of the law, which is where Jesus constantly criticizes them is their hard attitude. They believe they can earn for themselves basically favor with God. And this is the problem with the older brothers is they think, oh, if I just follow things perfectly to the T, I'm going to be at a higher category and everybody else is going to be a lower category. And then they judge people in those lower categories. They're rule enforcers too, right? As they say, well, you know, this person didn't follow the rules in this way, so we have to punish them, you know, in way why. And so I, I think that you're right that there's like a, I, I would say that still within that third category, I think you probably have older and younger brothers. You have younger brothers who have not yet found it convenient to rebel openly. And you have older brothers who, you know, haven't yet taken it upon themselves to become enforcers. Uh, but I agree there are, there is a group of people who aren't directly flaunting or, you know, specifically enforcing the rules at a given time. And I think that that is the, what, what we've seen the rise of since 2008 on the left, in my opinion, is the rule, social rule enforcing this idea that, oh, we can actually use the rules, not just to make ourselves, you know, um, honorable or glorious mm -hmm. or whatever, but we can, we can make ourselves glorious by making sure by policing everybody else. Yeah. And, that, and that's, that's an exercise in self-righteousness too, to a certain extent, yeah. right? Is that like by, uh, correcting my unwashed friends. I make myself even higher status, right? And I, I'm this, you know, benevolent uh, yeah. saint. And yeah. so I, I like to lay out some specific things that cause me to think this. First off, the response to the whole coronavirus pandemic. Th think of what Pharisees were obsessed with in the time of Jesus. They were obsessed with measurable things like the number of steps walked on the Sabbath. They were obsessed with cleanliness and so specifically cleanliness rituals and who you're allowed to associate with and not associate with. And, you know, they criticized Jesus for spending time with like sinners and tax collectors openly, uh, very obsessed with cleanliness laws. And think of what the coronavirus pandemic is, is like we have like what it means to be clean and that actually becomes more and more narrow over time. First, it's like, well, if you're out in public and you have the mask, you're clean, even if you like walk to the table, you know, you put the mask on and you take it off, you're still clean because you're following the rules, right? So it actually doesn't have anything to do or didn't have anything to do with the science and it never did. That particular aspect of when you go to a restaurant, you have to wear the mask until you get to the table and then you can take it off. People, put it back on between, between bites. Right, yeah, put it back on. So the, the real extreme people did that. But the point is like, you were basically okay to take it off once you got to the table, but something about not taking it off on the way to the table really would bother a lot of people if you if you didn't do that. The restaurant specifically, but also just like people in the restaurant, there'd be people who are frustrated with you. This is an obsession with the rule for the rule's sake, right? And this is a cleanliness rule. And so you, you can maybe start to see the theme emerge there. So that's one. Uh, but another is like associations. So the Pharisees were very bothered by like particular associations people had or didn't have. And so again, Jesus was criticized for hanging out with tax collectors. And nowadays, uh, there's lots of people you could associate with that if the left saw you associating with them or Democrats saw you associating with them, uh, you would probably ostracize yourself because of that. Mm -hmm. Checking phone records for who was in D.C. on January 6th. That's right. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, You know, and the, the requirement that like you call out your family or you you were even like turn them in if they if they were like part of that. And so we have that. Whereas on the other side, like who are the hippies? Who are the people flaunting 
the you know establishment rules right now well i see a lot of like i think of like the 70s hippies being the people of the time who were kind of uh, granola crunchers is one way you could put them they weren't following big medicine uh they weren't supporting big business and they were really opposed to the military industrial complex let's look for the analog of those people today well who is refusing to get you know medical industrial complex cures like things like vaccines and drugs it's not on the left. That's not where you see it anymore. There's probably still some in California who are kind of left-leaning, who have kind of kept their old politics. But my guess is the vast majority of people who are skeptical of medical interventions are probably like right-leaning, granola-crunching Christian conservative. In terms of opposition, let's see, what, what else did I say? Uh, medical interventions. Oh, big business. Who's opposed <laughs> to big business right now? Well, uh, 2008, we saw this Occupy Wall Street stuff from the left being opposed to big business. But now who's criticizing big business mostly. Well, again, it's conservatives who are worried about BlackRock, like who's worried about BlackRock right now. So those really skeptical of the major institutions and opposed to the major institutions, flaunting the major institutions do seem to be on the right. And so there is this weird reshift that has happened, I think, over the last 12 years in terms of where we find those people who find the rules sacred in themselves versus the people who don't care about the rules and almost oppose to them. I think there still are some um, people on the left who are opposed to like the medical industrial complex, but I, th I think you're hundred percent right. And I think that there aren't any new people on the left who are opposed to the medical right. industrial complex. Right. Yeah. It's all holdovers from, from what the left used to be. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think of like uh, listeners might've seen like, have you seen JP Sears on YouTube? Yeah. yeah, yeah he yeah. has the long red hair. His channel was all about being spiritual for a long time and like eating healthy and all this stuff. And he kind of was doing a self parody to some extent, but he actually was like a kind of a, a quote unquote spiritual guy. Well, over the last year, he has come out more and more to the point of like, listen, I don't trust anything the government tells me anymore. I really have a lot of uh, skepticism in terms of what happened to COVID. And he's come out as a, a Christian within the last few weeks here and said, I used to think of myself as just purely spiritual, but as I see evil more and more present, like I have to become explicitly opposed to that evil and to him that uh, he, he views that as Christianity. So he is one of these people who probably, you know, early 2000s was like an occupied Democrat. Uh, you know, has long hair, probably doesn't wear shoes very often. And now he's uh, more of a Trump supporter, really, is how you would describe it. He said that uh, within a month in March of 2020, he went from a very anti-gun to extremely pro-gun. Yeah. Like he just switched. Huh? Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, this looks like a good spot for a break. Um, when we come back, I, I saw lots of things kind of coming down this normative route. And then it reminded me of Bastiat that I think you should live this way. These are the rules that are the right rules. And this is the truth, I believe, so much so that let's, you know, change the government so that everybody has to follow this rule. And that's, I think, a little bit where Justin was going with enforcing the rules and putting more uh, force behind them. And, and so I guess we'll continue to explore if that's the case here with um, Democrat, Republican, left, right, or if there's a little bit of overlap between. We'll be back in just a bit. Otto University has an exciting new major, PPE, which stands for Philosophy, Politics, and Economics. Each of these fields is interesting in their own right, but they intersect in ways that are important to understand, both individually and for your community. If you find philosophy fascinating but want to make sure that your study of the subject is practical, if you enjoy economic analysis but want to see how economic laws interact with moral principles, 
If you are interested in politics but want to explore how economic and ethical realities constrain our political choices, you should consider the PPE program at Ottawa University. This spring, Ottawa University is organizing a PPE League competition of politics, philosophy, and economics. Students in this competition will compete leveraging the ideas of philosophy, politics, and economics in various events. If you're a professor or an advisor of college students and you're interested in your school competing in PPE League this spring, contact Peter, Justin, or Russ today. By 2030, the Gorton Institute will be known for its alumni, supporters, and participants who incorporate economic understanding with their faith in their careers, vocations, communities, and personal lives. We have some great programming going on for high school students. We have an online microeconomics class. Yes, you can earn college credit for $200 by taking an online class. It's affordable, flexible, layered with support. Our new online micro is optimized for you. If you'd like to consider some events for your high school students or that class, please contact Justin, Peter, or Russ today. Okay, so we're back and um, want to talk about a number of things here, just flipping and analyzing older, younger, and some other avenues. But uh, Luke, something came to mind over break for you? Yeah, just over this course of discussion and the current events that we've seen, it makes me think of a specific person in the Bible with Saul and his persecution of the Christians and then how quickly his ideologies flipped. And I was just curious if you all had any feedback or opinions on why people are able to switch their ideologies so fast. Well, Jesus might have had something to do with that one, but I don't know. What do you think, Justin? Yeah, I don't know if anyone wants to say anything about Saul's conversion first. Yeah, I I think that this does get to the the heart of things, and I don't want to go too much into this. We can kind of return to it. But older brother and younger brother, this is not a better and worse thing or worse and better thing. Uh, this is actually two types of failure. Uh, so, like, these are both, like, bad situations initially. And so the, the biblical answer to both the older and the younger brother, even though we only see it with the younger brother, we don't get to see it with the older brother, uh, which maybe has some important implications. But uh, the answer is the conversion and the love of the father. And so Paul definitely is an older brother, right? He's enforcing the laws to the point where he's like killing the Christians because he views them as heretics out of line with Old Testament law. And what brings Paul around is not that he becomes a younger brother. He's probably for an older brother for life. That's probably the natural inclination. Again, that's what I believe about. Uh, human nature is it's not very mutable uh, but what he what changes is uh in his conversion he sees like how fault how he can't actually as an older brother bridge the gap between what what perfection is and what he is and he's got to rely on jesus for that and that changes how he deals with other people that allows you to be merciful when you recognize that shortcoming in yourself that there's no way for you to be the perfect person that you would imagine you realize you need someone else to bridge that gap and I think that's what Christianity brings to the table that nothing, no other world religion, no other ideology has ever brought. Yeah. So you're kind of flipping, but you're still staying. You're older. Like, I think you're right. Paul would have still been an older brother when he converted, but in a different way. And same thing with younger brothers are going to potentially stay younger brothers. It's just you're living your life in a different way and seeing seeing the grace of God. And but your natural inclinations would still be uh, similar. Yeah. Although you were going to challenge that maybe, Justin, with some ways people that could kind of flip. Yeah, I tend to think that it's more of a spectrum than a. a yeah, for sure. I, I think that's true. Yeah, yeah, binary. That's and I think one of the things that it moves people, especially from younger brother to more appreciating more qualities of an older brother 
um, and trying to be more of an older brother is having kids. That's that's because yeah, I know a lot. You know, I may have been a bit of a younger brother, but I certainly had a lot of friends who were very much younger brothers. Um, and you can see a change happen with those people when they suddenly are responsible for another human being mm-hmm. and realizing that for kids, like you, you have to give them rules. Um, these rules serve as guardrails, right? And I mean. And sometimes you find yourself making rules that uh, that blow up in your face. Uh, so, yeah, I actually, I've got a good example. I was over at Peter's house recently, and I was trying to get my son to put on his shoes and go outside. And my son, Dean, is he's a younger brother, and boy, is he a younger brother, right? And, <laughs> and you know, he's like, I don't, don't want to put on my socks. And I'm like, and so, and Peter's well-behaved girls are putting on their shoes for the side, and I'm like, you have to put on your socks to Peter's older you brothers. Girls, <laughs> everybody has to put on socks to go outside. That's the rule. Um, and then I look over, and Peter's daughters are wearing ballet flats without any socks. <laughs> and Dean, of course, immediately noticed. He's like, look, I'm like, oh, my rule doesn't work. But uh, like, this is the kind of thing that you find yourself doing as a parent, just to get your kids to uh, to even do what you want them to do for their own safety, right? Yeah. Is, you know, making these rules. Um, it's very tough to be a younger brother, a uh, parent. And yeah. um, it's, and if you are a younger brother parent, it's very unlikely that your spouse is also a younger brother parent. And, and you know, I will point out, I, I think Justin's right that actually there's more things in life that guide people towards appreciating rules than there are. I, I think there's more guardrails to protect people <laughs> from remaining excuse me, purely uh, younger brothers their whole life. And you see this in the parable of the prodigal son where the younger brother comes around and the older brother doesn't. It's really easy to recognize your failure when you fail to live up to a rule. Like if someone said, oh, don't do that, don't do that. There's going to be a problem and you do it, then there's a problem. It's really easy to be like, someone was right. And like when you when you hit the bottom, this is like a really common thing that people do. When you hit the bottom, you have a chance to sort of like turn your life around, right? This is rock bottom. People really turn their lives around at rock bottom. There's not a, a very good rock bottom for rule followers. So it's in a way more deadly. Uh, you know, the Pharisees never going to hit the wall because they're just going to keep saying they're righteous. And let me, uh, to the listeners at home who are might get a, a little confused, rules in and of themselves aren't bad. It's the attitude toward the rules, which makes the older brothers bad. And so here's a a quote that Keller gives. It's actually from Flannery O'Connor. She has a novel, Wise Blood, and a, ca- a character named Hazel Motes. And the way that she describes this character is probably the best description of an older brother. And so the description, there is a deep, black, wordless conviction in him that the way to avoid Jesus was to avoid sin. And so the point of that being is that, like, if you believe that you can make yourself perfect, then you have to, you can avoid, you know, admitting your shortcomings. Of course, the problem with this is nobody is perfect, right? But you can maybe trick yourself into being perfect and you can maybe do that forever, which is a really dangerous thing. Yeah. You know, I'll, when you said that Martin Luther uh, comes to mind, so he was the best priest ever, Catholic monk, and uh, he got so absorbed with the rules that it kind of drove him crazy and came yeah. to the conclusion that the Catholic Church had things, some things wrong. And so the 95 theses that were pounded on the door in 1517 were related to rule following. And he's like, there, that this isn't what uh, the gospel states. And so that was the whole refor- Reformation bringing in uh, Protestant, a different way of practicing Christianity uh, after Martin Luther's time. And it, it was definitely related to the rule following and, and that he 
found frustration that there wasn't this moment of fulfillment from following the rules. He could never do it quite good enough. And so now I don't think there was a necessarily a switch. He was just the, the little bits of his life that I know about. And it seemed like he had some younger brother qualities. And I don't know if that he always had some of those younger brother qualities like we've been talking about. And then, but wanted to follow, his heart was to try to follow the uh, rules. Um, so I'm not sure how that all fits in, but I find yeah. Martin Luther's, um, you know, coming to Jesus moment uh, right in line with with this discussion on rules. Yeah, I mean, if I, I actually do think it fits in because so it's kind of the almost the, the parallel. I was saying I, that there's not as good of a parallel for older brothers. I think that's still true. Like rock bottom is less obvious, but I guess rock bottom from for older brothers looks a lot like what happened to Martin Luther or even John Calvin. Mm-hmm. These were very like studious rule followers who like in their following of rules realized, oh, I actually can't do it. Like, yeah. You know, when Jesus says something, if you like, if you hate your brother, you've committed murder in your heart. Like that means you're disqualified. Everybody listening, I'm sorry. You've hated <laughs> someone at some point. You, you you don't fulfill the law. You didn't do it. And it's like God is perfect. And so being with him requires fulfilling full, the full law. And so you failed. Yeah. Uh, but luckily, your your ability to have a relationship with God doesn't depend on your success. It actually depends on the success of Jesus so long as you trust in him. But I do want to take this to where like our, the application is because like you might be saying like, who cares? Yeah. The, I, I think this is basically my argument is that the hippies are on the right now. Like this is the, the simplest way to distill it is that there are hippies on the right and the rule followers are really on the left. And even like the rule followers who are on the right, you can see how uncomfortable they are in their own skin. Like Mitt Romney now uh, really wishes that he were a Democrat. And he like wants to march in the protests with the left because that's the that's the prevailing rule system right now is the left and their social order. And so he wants to be part of that, but he kind of can't because he's already boxed himself into the previous rule followers on the right. Uh, <laughs> likewise, you can see some hippies on the left who feel really uncomfortable with like, where'd all my fellow hippies go? Right. They're, why are they all on the right? Why like why is Marjorie Taylor Greene a granola cruncher? And uh, everyone in my party is a rule follower now. Like you can kind of see this. When AOC is being protested because she's supported like funding of war stuff and she's like uncomfortable because she knows it's true, but she can't square it with reality. And so, like, you might say, well, who cares? I think this has led to a phenomenon amongst especially like, you know, I think believers, Christians, that you might feel like politically homeless at this point, because, again, remember, the older your brother and younger brother thing, these are just two sides of the same falling short coin. And so if you're on the right right now, a lot of the rhetoric is very like aggressively anti-left, like, uh, you know, owning the libs is a big thing. Like, frankly, rudeness is actually like a big part of the right, what the right is right now. And I think that stuff has some functional utility. Like we, we can't ignore like the, the importance of rhetoric and, and politics, but some of it makes me very uncomfortable. Like I actually don't like being in a room of conservatives when someone's giving a talk and they like rattle through the conservative talking points. Like it makes me roll my eyes internally. Like I, there, there's something about it that is so like rubber stamp, not left. Ha ha. The left stinks this way. The left stinks this way. It's like intellectually like boring to me. It's like frustrating. I don't want to be part of the conversation. But on the other hand, the uh, outright or like rule following, we must have the sacred mask commandments and our priest, <laughs> Dr. Fauci, will lead us all to the promised lands. That's on the left right now. Like I can't be party to this either because like this sort of like religious rule following it's actually opposed to my my personal religion right it's an alternative set of rules it's an alternative worldview that doesn't match mine 
And so I, I personally, I feel like there's no place for me politically. And so my answer has become this, is that the way to be involved with politics, and this is going to sound crazy to a lot of people, it has nothing to do with political action, nothing to do with voting, nothing to do with talking politics at all. I actually think the best thing that we can do politically right now is, and you know, cue the evangelical for bringing up evangelicalism, but I think it's actually something evangelicals have done poorly. I think spreading the gospel is actually the only way to effectively communicate in politics right now, because in order to fix the older and younger, okay, younger brothers, statement. In, in order to fix the older and younger brothers, you have to have them have a change of heart. There is no, you know, guiding the older brother toward like just making his rules like good, right? The older brother is always going to want to be involved in this process of self-sanctification. The younger brother is always going to want to spite the older brother. This cycle continues until they destroy each other, right? The only way we lift people out of that is by convincing them like, no, you, you have fallen short and you need to put your trust in something that cannot fall short. And so I actually think like a Ron Paul style evangelical movements about Christianity and politics, where the the uh, purpose is not getting elected, but spreading the idea. I actually think that's what a good politics would look like right now. Now, I don't know that I'm going to do that, <laughs> uh, but I, I don't see any other way. I, I think we're we're in kind of a bad trap and a bad cycle right now. How would you square that up with kind of the criticisms of the religious right? That somewhat failed in, I think, the 80s. And well, the, the problem 80s. with things like the moral majority is they were trying to impose the rules, right? They were being yeah. older brothers. Yeah. And so they weren't spreading the gospel. They were going around and trying to say, you need to live by doing X, Y, and Z. You need to fulfill moral obligation X, Y, and Z. And what I'm saying is, I don't care. Uh, well, I don't totally not care, but I don't think we should spend much energy focusing on like making policies that match the Bible. I think that has failed spectacularly badly when we've tried to do it. But that would be a slippery slope, right? No, I, I don't think so. In fact, I think what the left is doing right now is a slippery, 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 more slippery slope than <laughs> uh, to that than what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is that like we need to have a radical movements in politics towards focusing on the message of the gospel rather than have politics be about how we should live our lives because the first is prior to the second and then whenever you focus on the second you fall into either legalism or anti-legalism uh, which is what we have on the left and right right now so to go back to what you said earlier because i think this is right that it's there's more um, clear opportunities for a younger brother to appreciate the rules of the older brother um, whereas if you are naturally an older brother and things don't go wrong. The answer is always another rule. Yeah. Right. Um, and so I hope you're right that the way to convince older brothers that, um, that they're in, so there's a personal, there's an easy personal way for younger brothers to recognize this, that um, there's something to being an older brother, right. Which is that you realize, Oh no, I, this, this isn't working out for me, but for an older brother, it's more difficult for there to be a personal lesson because it can always just go, well, then we need more rules. Right. right. And so it seems to me that rock bottom for older brothers is the entire system collapsing. That's when, that's when it really, uh, that's rock bottom for the older brother. Yeah. So if we want to avoid that rock bottom of the entire system collapsing, then I surely hope you're right that there's um, an individual path to kind of appreciating that more rules aren't going to always fix the solution. Yeah. Or be the solution. I just, uh, I mean, I love the idea and I think for a different reason though, but I, I still, with you bringing out that being some a political argument, I just don't see it working out other than going to more rules because 
I think of it as, oh, I'm, I'm saved. I found Jesus. I get it. I've seen the light, you know, whatever that looks like for the person. Now, what do I do? And then even within Christianity, we have this kind of works versus um, faith tension on, well, now that I'm a Christian, what do I do? And so I, I think inevitably our sinful nature would bring us back to just where we were with trying to impose rules and back to what I've mentioned earlier with kind of the religious right of trying to uh, force the commandments. I just had a friend of mine uh, say, an older friend said, I don't even remember how we got talking about this. It wasn't a super deep conversation, but he, he just says, wouldn't the world be a better place if we all just followed the 10 commandments? And I'm like, yeah, sure. But we can't. So he, I think he was an older brother mindset, right? Sure. That yeah. he, let's lay down the Ten Commandments as the rule of the land and everything will be better, but it won't. Here's here's what I think that you're not considering is like you are looking at politics the way that people traditionally look at politics, which is that politics is a domain where we pass legislation and make uh, political decisions. What I'm saying is politics is a platform more than it is anything else. And the only thing that happens in terms of political decisions, those are all actually downstream of culture. And so I actually think the most successful way to use politics is to use the platform to spread the good ideas, which lead to the culture, which improve the policies. So if there are Christian politicians listening to this podcast, which I doubt there are many, but if there are any, I would say you shouldn't spend as much time crafting policy as you're spending. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, and this is going to seem radical and people are going to hate you for this, by the way, which is what we would expect if you're doing the right thing. Uh, but you should get on a debate stage and, and talk about why we need savior, uh, a savior in our lives. That will lead to people, you know, uh, not becoming perfect, but embracing like the, the, the true vision of humanity, that humanity has fallen short, that's necessary to actually live in a good society. I think that, Politics is most importantly used as a megaphone. And I said Ron Paul earlier because that's what Ron Paul did. Ron Paul did never did nothing successful politically. He never passed legislation. Uh, he I don't think he was ever the vote that stopped legislation, maybe a few times, but very rarely. He was basically an outcast for, I don't know, his decades in Congress. But he was more successful than most politicians, not in his impact on policy directly, but the fact that like in 08 and 2012, he had this message that kind of got spread. He used the presidential debate stage as a platform that influenced the way a lot of people think about politics, myself included now. And so that sort of thing with Christianity, I think, is what is the, the proper next step. Uh, and so I'm hearing you say, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, it's a mix of gospel and limited government. I don't think I'm saying anything about limited government. I think you're... As usual, hearing what you want to hear. <laughs> yeah, I'm, well, I'm saying someone should get up on the debate stage and preach and the gospel a, and be a preacher. So, yeah. also, if not only should you expect to be hated, like you said, but Ron Paul was extremely successful 35 years later, right? Yes, um, yeah, we should we ought to expect that it will. It you, won't be easy and it will take a long time. Yeah, there's time. a good chance you won't even see it. Yeah. Right? And the the big criticism that you actually that people will encounter is the separation of church and state stuff like that. This will really test that line. Now, uh, my view is that if people elect a politician who runs on a message of like, hey, I'm going to use this platform to just preach the gospel 
And I guess I'll do the votes. Maybe, maybe not. I think actually the most powerful person would be someone who said, I'm not going to vote on a single thing on the floor of the Senate. I'm only going to use this platform to preach yeah. the gospel and do nothing else. Like that would be an insanely powerful thing. And everyone's going to scream about this is using the state to promote yeah. religion. Yeah. And like in some like there's like a way in which that's true, but also a way in which like it's obvious that the founders thought that if people wanted to elect someone with their values, that that would be fine. If right? you, but my point is, if you're if you're not bringing some sort of active policy prescriptions, you are implicitly bringing limited government to the table. Modern you are fair. you are not actively trying to do something. In fact, I didn't hear you say this or not, but, you know, would you be actively trying to reduce regulations? Not necessarily. But the fact that you're not actively looking to increase the scope of government to me means you're you've got a bit of a limited government message. I mean, I think it means it depends on the status quo, right? Like if they, if you say I'm not going to vote on anything that comes to the table and there's a limited government thing that's losing by one vote and you say, sorry, I'm not here to vote. I'm here to preach the gospel going to be acting against limited government. Now, again, I'm not saying that there should never be votes necessarily uh, to Christian leaders out there. Like there are really important moral issues. Like if there was a bill, make murder legal. I think this is probably the sort of thing you, you <laughs> vote for. But I do think like having a healthy focus on not participating in the political facade that is a facade anyways, uh, I think that can draw more attention to, to the platform. Yeah. I like it, by the way. I'm not. I'm just trying to provide constructive criticism. I, yeah. I think it's kind of a neat idea. It, it would maybe be something that could help uh, shift culture a different direction and give people some hope because suicide rates and other problems with stress and anxiety and mental uh, health. I, I think a lot of that's tied into the direction the culture's heading away from Christianity. Yeah. Things aren't working. This like this is the the thing to highlight is that like. In, in even the radical change that the younger brothers tried to make with Trump, I mean, there's no greater younger brother movement than Trump. Trump is a big middle finger to the establishment. That's all he is. That's like his whole embodiment. Uh, he is like the king of the younger brothers. And so what he brought to the table was that rebellion and he didn't accomplish anything. And the reason he didn't accomplish anything is because like there's a whole system set up and the system has a problem. And so you need to step outside the system to fix that system problem. Younger brothers can't run systems. Right. There. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They could just smash them, which yeah. some, that has value sometimes. Right. Uh, but you you need to have an alternative. Yeah. Can I just say one thing? I, what I really like about it is I think there's a big movement now to just like disengage from politics and say like, look, I'm just going to wash my hands a bit or yeah. whatever. And this this actually seems like gives you a an even more productive way to yeah. kind of actively disengage yeah, from right. politics. Yeah, it's yeah. like uh, I'm going to engage in politics by disengaging it. I'll, <laughs> yeah, right. I'll, I'll occupy the position and I won't do anything political, but preach the gospel. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think that's really interesting. Yeah. It's not enough to be merely politically di disengaged. We must be actively anti-political. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think some scholar said something like that. Yeah. You know, I, does anybody come to mind like Tim Keller or somebody that you think could... Uh, Pull that off? No, I, I'm very disappointed by that. <laughs> no, I'm serious. So like, might be Dr. Peter uh, I, I really uh, think that there's a, a big problem with Christian leaders right now. And a lot of them are like kind of older brothers. So this has put them in an awkward position with the GOP. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I, even like. But I mean, Tim Keller has a big following. Even I've seen some of his stuff with atheists and stuff like that. I mean, I'm just saying a personality like his might be somebody. To I think it would have to be yeah. someone young because I think even uh, personalities like 
uh, great pastors like Keller, Piper, MacArthur. These are some of like the great public pastors or Billy Graham was. I think all of them have sort of like an old respect for politics that would require them to be like the studious, actively engaged senator or representative. Trump respect. I, I, I think you need someone who realizes that the system in and of itself cannot be beneficial the way that most people run through it. And I don't know, I'm not seeing that in anybody. I like, there's no candidate in my mind of someone who's figured this out. And it's kind of a once in a lifetime thing, right? There's no pre Ron Paul in right. any like real way. Ron Paul was Ron Paul. And right? Ron Paul had a cult of personality in a, in a good way. Yeah. You know who else has a cult of personality? Like AOC does, right? Yeah. Um, and so I, I see that as maybe a model. Um, yeah. When you're talking about somebody young who- uh, That's right. Who can use their political platform just as a platform for- Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, this has been a production of the Gordon Institute here at Ottawa University. I'd like to thank you all for listening. A five-star rating helps other people find us. And uh, if you think uh, you have some friends or family that might like to listen to it too, uh, please forward it along to them. Other than that, be fruitful and multiply. Thanks.